You're listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the one and only show where we talk about movies from 2007. Today's movie is No Country for Old Men, uh, regarded by some as the best movie the Coen brothers have ever directed. Uh, and I believe it might be their only, uh, the only time they got an Academy Award for Best Director. Maybe don't quote me on that. They could have done it twice, but I believe it's uh, it's definitely their highest profile Academy Award. It's definitely the only time they got it for Best Picture. Anyway, so um, this movie has no music in it, so I'm not sure what we're going to put here. I will probably put a brief quote, or maybe we'll put like some uh, some country music on for like half a minute. We'll figure it out. I'm not sure what's going to come up, but uh, we're going to get right into talking about this pretty quick. So here's something. Enjoy this. Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live. The movie... Nope, it's not a movie. It's a podcast. It's a podcast, pre-recorded show where we talk about movies from 2007. Today's movie is the best movie of 2007, uh, or so I've been told. Uh, it is No Country for Old Men. Um, Pierre, I I hadn't seen this... Well, I'd seen this movie once before, I think. I don't know if I actually... Uh, I don't know that I really... I didn't remember most of it, so it's been a while. But uh, had you seen this movie before? I think you recommended it. I did, yeah. I've uh, I've heard a lot of about it in the past. Um, I, I obviously know it's by the Coen Brothers, so uh, and and they've directed some some amazing movies. I've seen two. Uh, the first one I saw was The Big Lebowski, which obviously really stuck in my mind um, because of just how weird it was. And I, I've always, I don't know, this. I love the title for some reason. It just sounds so mature, I guess, because of the old men part. Oh, uh, you mean the title of this? I thought you meant the title of The Big Lebowski. No, no, the, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, The Big Lebowski was not very mature. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's why I chose it. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. So yeah, it was great. And uh, yeah, so I really liked it um it's a 2007 movie it came out uh and you said it won the oscar for best picture did you already mention that you said it it was the best movie yeah i don't think i specifically said it but it did win oscar for best picture it won quite a few oscars four of them uh got best picture best director best supporting actor and best adapted screenplay and we're going to talk about every single one of those in detail over the course of this i'm pretty sure yeah um but just a couple things to give more context. It's based on a book that was, I don't know when it was written. I think it was relatively recent. 2005. So the yeah. book was written in 2000, or the book came out in 2005. Uh, and then Joel and, Ethan Co- Joel and Ethan Cohen must have like immediately gotten the rights because this movie was out in 2007. Yeah. So actually. I think what from what I read, they were working on another book adaptation, which is funny because they've actually never done a book adaptation before this movie. Have they done and one since? I don't. Know I don't think so. But yeah, so they 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 took the the obviously they adapted the script. Apparently, it's very similar to the book. They just kind of trim trim some fat here and there, uh, but overall, it's it's pretty similar. But to be fair, the at least in terms of dialogue, there's there's not much dialogue, so it it definitely uh, the mo- the movie was, a lot of it was in the hands of the of the directors to make it as uh, magnetic as it was. Are you saying there wasn't that much dialogue in the in the movie, or there wasn't di- and, that much dialogue in the book? Well, I'm guessing there wasn't much in the book, but also yeah, in the movie because because like I said, they they adapted it pretty closely uh, from what I can tell. So if there was more dialogue, they probably would have added more. 
Um, but there was very, very little dialogue in this movie. It was very, or not very little, but like relatively little. It was very much uh, a movie based around tension and violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it played a lot with uh, just with care, like minimal dialogue, which was yeah. uh, cool to see. So yeah, what what Coen Brothers movies have you seen, Joe? Um, well, let's see. I've seen Burn After Reading and The Big Lebowski as well. I watched a movie that came out a couple years ago that I think people don't like it, but like I thought it was really funny. Uh, called Hail Caesar, where Josh Brolin plays a uh, just plays a Hollywood agent um, who sort of. It just kind of ends up running into a communist conspiracy among Hollywood, um, among like the Hollywood elite, which is kind of funny. Um, and let's see what else did I see? Oh, there was the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is it's hard to it's it's an, an it's an anthology movie. Um, so I I understand why it wasn't nominated for more things when it came out in 2018. But it was like one of the best movies of 2018. Um, it was, I think, five segments, five segments in the Old West. And like some not all of them are winners, but the ones that are the ones that are are like really, really good. Um, there's one that stars Tom Waits as a gold digger uh, or as a prospector. And um, I think it's like my favorite thing I saw that entire year. Uh, and then let's see. So that's that was Hail Caesar, Big Lebowski, Burn After Reading, and uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I've also seen Raising Arizona, which is super weird. Um, that's got my favorite actor in it, Nicolas Cage. Uh, and then Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is basically The Odyssey, but with George Clooney and uh, John Goodman. And uh, Fargo. And I believe that's all the Coen Brothers movies I've seen. No, I've also seen A Good Man. So I've seen most of them, probably, I would say. Oh, and, and Inside Lewin Davis. I've seen most of the Coen Brothers movies. Uh, <laughs> I would say of those, my favorite is definitely Fargo. Uh, probably a close second would be, I would say, like, after Fargo, it would be either... I'd have to watch this movie again to really rank it because I really liked this movie. I it's so, but it's so different from other Coen brothers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say after Fargo, I'd probably put either, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what I would say after Fargo, but Fargo is definitely my favorite one. And Fargo then later became a series, which has nothing to do with the movie, but sort of adapts the tone, which um, uh, it actually continues on from the movie. Barely, barely. It has barely, references. Like, it, it picks up. Uh, well, there was the plot. Remember in Fargo, the guy buries the money. Yes, and, and they find that money. A, yeah, it ends up being a. I guess like it's a, not a, that a significant plot. a plot point, but it is there. It's like not insignificant either. Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely like more of a spiritual successor. Um, yeah, but also I, I want to say like, this. I want to say this movie. Uh, overall was felt like a very much like a more mature Fargo. A little Uh, bit. I think that, um, I guess just to close out what we were saying about the Coen brothers before what I felt about, um, I think it's kind of emblematic or you, you sort of see it with Fargo becoming a series that mostly just takes on the tone rather than taking on the characters and the exact plot. Um, this, the Coen brothers have a very, have a very recognizable style. They have range for sure, but like you've seen, oh, I also saw Lady Killers. There we go. Uh, um, but like if you watch a Coen Brothers movie and you've seen other Coen Brothers movies, you're going in with sort of an idea of what to expect. And when I watched this movie, this was quite different from what I would have expected from a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Because, um, just yeah. From the lack of comedy i guess it was not very funny like yeah like i wouldn't say like all coen movies are like laugh out loud funny but they're definitely like they they do play with dark humor a lot too yeah uh, especially in fargo Mm -hmm. but if they're not funny they're at least absurd 
And this one was not even really that. It was pretty grounded. Grounded and very uh, gritty. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, uh, no kind of fancy tricks or whatever. Just it was basically just two guys kind of duking it out. Pretty uh, much, yeah. Playing it was almost like a chess match, a human chess match. Except they're like the only <laughs> pieces. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it it definitely did. It, like, I guess it technically didn't feel like a Coen Brothers movie, but like. I did kind of recognize some of their uh, trademark things in terms of especially the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the It's a very simple plot. And well, you had started before saying that this felt a little bit like a more mature Fargo. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you wanted to expand on that, but I was just going to say that kind of, that, that kind of uh, makes, the, yeah, that, that description kind of fits. Um, in Fargo, you know, there's there's an unsolved murder and there's a uh, policewoman trying to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, it's it's sort of wacky. It's wacky people in a small town where in this there's kind of a mystery at the center of everything. It's not really a mystery because the whole point is these two people uh, basically chasing each other over... Um, two million dollars but you know there's a crime that happens and then everything like that's the instigating instigating incident that sort of everything else emanates out of um but so it's like plot wise it's almost similar in that respect and the way that it plays out is fairly similar except that the stakes are a lot higher or they feel a lot higher because the situation isn't silly yeah, I guess I, I yeah. can't remember Fargo exactly, uh, but I, I do know like the the character of uh, what's his name? Something something Nygaard, right? Or is that from the show? Oh, um, I think you're thinking. Are you thinking of Lester Nygaard? Because that's what that's I'm from the thinking show. Thinking of Lester, but I remember they had similar names. Uh, um... Fargo main character. Uh, Larry Le- Jerry Lunder- Lundegaard. Um, right. He. What was I saying about him? <laughs> Where did I go with this? Uh, I guess. I guess. Oh no, no. The, the things that were absurd, like hit. I liked his character. His character was played serious, but it was absurd in terms of you had this very simple-minded man, not like an idiot, but just like a very yeah. innocent man that is kind of put into this uh the situation that's beyond him and he he has yeah. really no say in it and uh the way he acts and stuff to get out of the situation is kind of in some ways played for humor mm-hmm. uh just in terms of how how lost he is and uh watching him kind of squirm to get out of like the situation even though the audience kind of knows he has no control over what happens yeah, well, the, the idea behind Fargo is, even though, the, even though Fargo is an entirely made-up story, the idea behind Fargo is, like, at the very beginning of the show, or at the very beginning of the, well, and the show, but in the very beginning of the movie, they say this is based on a true story, these events really happened, which is a, which is a lie. But the idea behind Fargo is that they were trying to take the idea of truth is stranger than fiction and just sort of adapt it, like, you can't make this stuff up, where with um no country for old men they take a similar like they take a story that's kind of similar in a lot of ways but like it's more literary i guess because it is actually based on a book and it's it feels a lot more like it's based on a book like fargo um the it it feels kind of like a very strange thing that happened where no country for old men doesn't at any point feel like it happened but it does. It, it doesn't feel unrealistic either. I guess, if that makes sense, it's sort of a. It's a weird situation that I guess could happen, but because of the way the characters and the characters are, and the way the story plays out, it feels very. Um, I mean, I said literary, and I'd say that again. It feels like there's. Um, it feels like there's a lot more going on beneath the surface than would be in a real movie or in in like a movie about real events for example yeah especially because uh 
I'd say the character, especially the character of what's his name, the guy, the guy played by. Uh, I don't. I don't even remember the actor's name. <laughs> Is it Horatio? Uh, are you talking about the guy played by Javier Bar- Javier yeah, Bardem? Yeah, Javier, Javier Bardem. Um, he is his, uh, his that character is Anton Chigurh. Anton, Anton. His his character is very. Uh, I I'd say it's it's very much like a movie character. The the characters in Fargo are all very grounded and mm-hmm. real. Um, even the criminals, uh, like they, they were. They were they weren't like stupid or anything, but they, you could kind of tell they weren't like amazing criminals, right? They were just like yeah. these two guys that did bad things, that were that were relatively like experienced, but they you know they, they weren't mm-hmm. crazy high. Um, whereas the character of Anton is almost played as like a, a force of nature. Yeah, uh, I wanted to say that when um, yeah. I don't know where I heard that term before. I think it was actually relating to Fargo the series. Uh, this character reminded me a lot of Lauren Malvo, I think, from Fargo. Season uh, one. That's that's Billy Bob Thornton's character, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just this, like, because you have you have uh, the main story or the main the main conflict seemed to be in this movie. Uh, Josh Brolin's character, who's who's the protagonist, mm-hmm. and uh, against kind of like the mob, you know, like the the Mexican or the Mexican uh, cartel. I think it was the Mexican cartel. So, but then you um, kind of have this third, third guy who it's almost, he doesn't, I mean, he wants the money, but it's not even entirely about the money because it once, feels like, I think he may have been hired by the cartel at some point, but it's really at, at event eventually. And very early on, actually it more to him just becomes about the job. Like he needs to get the money. He doesn't want the money. It's just what he's doing, and like he'll get it no matter what happens. Yeah. Well, I, okay. I I took it as more of a personal vendetta once once someone messes with him, you know? Because eventually, yeah. like the movie essentially starts with, uh, I think it's Josh Brolin finds the money, and he knows the cartel wants it, so he he kind of hides away hides it away with himself. I'm not entirely sure why, but it was like he was trying to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then so then this Anton guy uh, starts tracking him because it turns out there's a tracker. And uh, I'm gonna very brief. You're almost done, but I'm gonna very briefly let you explain the plot while I oh, step sure. away for a second. Yeah, the the main conflict then becomes Anton tracking down Josh Brolin's character to get the money but then he later explains it's not only about the money it's just about like he josh brolin's character messed mess with him so therefore him and his entire well maybe not all of his family but eventually he, he starts threatening his entire family and it's 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 about more the principle for him and uh the idea of chaos uh he, he's a very the character of anton is very obsessed with the idea of chaos and how when he when he kills someone it's not really because of a man doing it it's because nature or like maybe god decided that this guy should die and he's kind of like the executioner of of their will so you say you say chaos but like i don't know that that's the word i would use it's more that he's kind of an arbiter of destiny because yeah. essentially, you know, when when Josh Brolin took that money from the cartel and decided to make it somewhat inconvenient for Anton Chigurh to track down, he doomed himself to die. He will now get killed by Anton Chigurh. That is that's what's gonna happen. And at several points, there's point there's people who don't necessarily have to die like Anton hasn't decided that they need to die yet so he lets them flip a coin and decide and when he's introducing this coin to say you know call the call it and we'll see if you die or not he always says he he you know he knows a lot about the coin he's flipping he knows the date that it 
the that's on the coin and he says you know this coin has been traveling this long to get to this moment where it can decide your fate and oh, so yeah. it's always it's it's always like he anton doesn't see himself as a person that makes any choices he sees himself as someone who does the will of like you said either god's will or he's the arbiter of fate or destiny or chaos chaos i think is a strange one there but yeah sure yeah i I guess i might be kind of subconsciously comparing him to two-face uh from the dark knight because that's (laughs) the reason he starts flipping the coin i thought that was a little too similar but actually this movie came out before the dark knight so i guess the the using that Two-Face was already a character before tommy lee jones had literally played him that's true yeah but i guess like I guess he wasn't really big, you know, because Tommy Lee Jones played him as kind of a silly character. Yeah, um, and I mean, when it comes right down to it, flipping a coin is a thing that a lot of people do. So it's it's not like Two Face had the had the <laughs> he doesn't have a patent that. on it. Yeah, um, but in terms of also just in terms of his acting, uh, Javier Bardem just blew it out of the water. Like you said, he was, was the best supporting, right? He won Best Supporting, yeah. Yeah, uh, just such a haunting character. Um, I can't even, I don't even know if I could describe, like, his personality or how he acted him out because... You know, we... Oh, sorry, I was going to say we've described him as as a force of nature and he felt like one. Yeah, like, he wasn't really given a... I, I can't describe his his personality in any way he's just he's just it like that is Mm -hmm. he he is him as stupid as that sounds when he Uh, comes into the into the scene he owns that scene and like he doesn't bring his personality into it he just brings a sense of dread that's bigger than he than any person in that scene could be mm -hmm. yeah and there are there were a couple scenes that I, I noticed at the start that felt kind of odd. Like, um, they they kind of spend a lot of time on on his character with like not much relevance to the plot. Like, there's this one scene where uh, he's threatening. Uh, he he just basically starts threatening this uh, gas station attendant out of nowhere. And I uh, that was a really whoa, actually one of my favorite scenes. But I also felt that that was a pretty important scene for uh, it was it was important for his character development because as much as he doesn't feel like he has a personality, that's also where you kind of uh, it's it's not a lack of a personality like oh he's not fleshed out it's more like whatever he's doing is bigger than him in a way that is. That that does that you don't really get from many characters, and I felt like that is the scene where you really got that because that's also the first scene where he brings out a coin and basically makes the guy flip the coin for his life. Yeah, I I, I guess I it also comes back a lot more because the way the way he kind of describes the, the destiny of the coin, you know, um, I think definitely lose in more to his character than I assumed at the time. Uh, because I, I initially I just thought, oh, this is really evil guy that's going to kill a shit ton of people. But it's it's more than that to him. And so kind of getting behind his philosophy, setting mm-hmm. up in that scene. Uh, yeah, but again, amazing performance. Um, I liked, I think that Tommy Lee Jones, I, I don't really think he put in like a great performance. He was just playing Tommy Lee Jones. But like, I think he was perfectly cast. Yeah, in terms of uh, just like you know, kind of like a good man that's over or been been burdened by like the evil in the world, you know, and is just tired of it, uh, of trying of trying his best because he's given a again, it's kind of similar to Fargo. He's given this policeman that he works with that doesn't really know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh. And and he's just a much more simple, just a simple man. He 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 figures stuff out and stuff, and he he's he's pretty smart just in terms of he listens to common sense. You know, he's not he's not too big on ego or anything. 
so yeah, I liked him. Uh, what, what did you think of Tommy Lee or any other characters? Yeah, I would say with Tommy Lee, like his performance wasn't anything special for Tommy Lee Jones, but you know, it was a good Tommy Lee Jones performance. He was, he was the same character in this as he was in say Captain America, the first Avenger, but like he was better in this. Cause this is just a naturally better movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have to do very much, but he got a lot of very, very good lines. Like he actually finishes the movie. Um, this isn't that much of a spoiler. He finishes the movie by talking about a dream that he had. And like, that is a really, really, really good monologue that he has just talking about this dream. Um, and you know, he's all, he also has a couple of other lines where he just like, he's an old man. So he goes on some tangents when he's talking to people and like, it's surprising that he doesn't do more in the movie because he definitely could just based on what he obviously knows. Um, so one major component of this movie is that Anton Chigurh has two weapons of choice. He has an air gun, um, which, uh, is not what that probably sounds like, like a soft air rifle or something, but like he has, he has a, it's, it's something you use for killing cattle where you just shoot compressed air really quickly into their head and then it kills them immediately, but it doesn't, and it leaves what looks like a bullet entry wound, but it doesn't have an exit wound because it's literally just compressed air that shoots into their head really quick. Um, like, uh, what's the, didn't they say a metal rod comes out because of the air and it just sucks I, back in every time? Yes, I believe so. Okay, just checking. Because it, it didn't so, seem like it when they filmed it, you know? Yeah. That's so, how those machines work. It leaves, so it looks like a bullet wound, except that um there's no exit wound so um if you don't know that that's what they're being killed with it's kind of weird because you see like these people that have been shot in the head but like they there's no bullet and you can't find any traces of a bullet at all so that's one of his uh that's one of his weapons of choice the other one is just a silenced shotgun which which was I so was- cool by the way I thought, I thought it was really clear. interesting their uh, their choice of sound design on that because they made it sound not exactly the same as the air gun, but very similar. Like when he shot that silenced shotgun, it sounded like what the air gun should have sounded like, which I thought mm. was just a really cool choice to make them to make those very distinct weapons that similar just through the sound because a silenced shotgun does not actually sound like that. Uh, I was guessing so. I have no idea. I I don't think any usually when they use a silencer in the movie, I'm pretty sure it's never like the sound is very off because they're way louder than you than you would think. Uh, yeah. But I I did I don't know why, but the sound was so satisfying, but also scary because it, mm-hmm. it it felt like because I've never seen like a again like that in a movie, and I've never heard that sound before used at least for a gun i can't remember the sound exactly but it like, almost you, sounded like a weird vacuum yeah but like the way how the uniqueness of the sound just attached itself to the character you know and like whenever you hear that it's like his signature style you know and you're like if you hear it, you're like oh sh-, like oh shit he's like in the area or oh uh, when he kills another person, you're like, damn, like, he did it again, you know? Uh, it's just such a small thing, but I thought it really added to, like, the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what about uh, Josh Brolin? I think he's the only oh, other big actor I guess that we could... really quick to mention that, uh, or just because I brought it up, uh, the, the sheriff, um, Tommy Lee Jones, Ed Tom Bell is his name. Uh, he... At one point, so throughout this entire movie, his main thing, it, it kind of seems like the main thing he's trying to figure out, the main mystery he's trying to get to the bottom of is how um, Anton Chigurh, who he doesn't know who that is, but how this guy killed one of his, um, killed this guy in town because there was an entry wound, but no exit wound. And he can't figure out how he did that. And at one point in a random conversation, he brings up this air rifle that they use to kill cattle with. And they, and he describes it in detail 
and like this is exact the way he's describing it it's exactly the the weapon he's looking for and you know that's just where it ends and he never brings it up again so like but the way that he talks about it it kind of sounds like he doesn't realize that um he's describing exactly the weapon he's looking for the the answer to his mystery and i thought that was really i thought that was kind of an interesting choice that he clearly has the answer there but he doesn't actually get to it and i kind of wonder what that says about his character because his character is not dumb but his character also just like i think his character he's so he he mentions a few times that like he's seen some things that he'd rather not have seen just in his years as a police officer but i think that his character really just i i i think like based on based on that conversation and just other stuff that he says in the thing his character is just he'd rather just not have to deal with very strange things yeah. and maybe well, i'm reaching there but i i think it it does fit into the theme of the movie of like lack of closure in some sense or lack of <laughs> explanation you know um, something's just kind of happened, and it, like, I, I guess it's something the Coen brothers really wanted to highlight, and this, this does fit in with their other movies, you know, of just, like, sometimes, like, this doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. And where a, usually a movie, like, everything a character does or everything, like, the movie kind of sets up should have a payoff or the character should know it because Mm -hmm. uh in terms of logic right but like uh, i think what's interesting about this is that you have all the answers there as an audience like as someone in the audience as someone watching this movie there's still not really that closure that you're talking about but most of the closure that the most of the things the most of the questions that the characters ask are answered not necessarily to them. They don't necessarily figure out what they're trying to find out, but you do as part of the audience. Even and for the audience, like you get, you don't really get closure for the characters, but you do get closure for all the questions they themselves set up. So it's sort of interesting because like nobody gets closure. The audience doesn't get closure for a lot of these character stories. The characters don't get closure for the things they're looking for, but it's more frustrating even than that because you know exactly how you you know a lot of the answers to these things like you know what everything that tommy lee jones is trying to figure out you know very quickly he never finds it out yeah i'd also say like one of the biggest things with uh what you're talking about is just how Honestly, the plot could have been resolved so simply with him taking the money to the police, you know, mm-hmm. like, or 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 waiting for Tommy Lee Jones, or even talking to him. I don't think they ever talk in the movie, right? No. But yeah, like the the idea is of that is just so simple, and but that's the thing. It kind of it kind of plays into the common tropes of, you know, that he's like, I want to do it myself, Josh Brolin's character. Uh, and he's, you know, and then the, the, the audience can, kind of expects, oh, this is the good guy. He's, he's going to win because he's doing the right thing, right? Well, and, clearly the protagonist. Yeah. And then uh, it doesn't really work out <laughs> in the end. Um, but, and, and then that contrast of between Tommy Lee Jones' character who who just kind of see things for what they are, you know? He's very straightforward and, like, uh, he's willing to admit when he's out of his depth compared to Josh Brolin's character who uh, who seems similar but does have that element of ego, I think, uh, where he, he doesn't really trust anyone and he's too proud to ask for help, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that that does definitely relate to all that stuff of just like honestly, the movie's kind of simple, and 
it's when you bring in the complexity of personalities when it kind of messes up a bit. Speaking or, of the complexity of personalities, I guess we've been talking about it a little bit, but like, oh, well, I guess we have, I guess that's literally all we've been talking about. Do you want to, do you want to, is there anything else you wanted to say about the acting? I uh, wanted to, like Josh Brolin, uh, just solid performance as well. I, I thought he did really great physical acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the scenes, uh, he, again, he was, he didn't really get many characters to bounce off of and talk to, but you're, you're, he definitely was very interesting to watch, even when he was not speaking and he, he was able to add a lot of tension with stuff like, uh, even like him putting, when he put that suitcase in the vent or, uh, when he's waiting for uh, Anton, Anton to uh, come up and shoot him when he's in his hotel room. Uh, the way he postures himself and stuff is like honestly pretty genius. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. A- anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, what, what did you want to talk about? Oh, I don't think there was anything else. I realized oh. after I started saying that that I've been okay. talking about the acting. Oh, yeah, I thought you were leading towards something. No, uh, but um... yeah. I'll, Honestly, in, in terms of other actors, there wasn't really much. Woody Harrelson was in this movie, which was really surprising because he has like a pretty irrelevant role. Like he literally does nothing. <laughs> he basically um, exists to tell Josh to tell Josh Brolin that he is out of his depth. Yeah, um, and I guess to up the tension, you know, because hmm. um, his death kind of seemed like a. Like even even like the big boys don't know what they're doing, right? Yeah. But but Josh Brolin's character is gonna figure it out because he's the man of the land. Uh, so I guess it hypes it up in that way. But yeah, like uh, it was surprising to see a, an actor of his stature um, in such a small role. But like there, was, but again, like there wasn't really much to say about his role. It was, he served his purpose, not much else. Um, and yeah, other than that, like no, like no no. Uh, no standouts, just very basic acting from everyone else. Yeah, which I guess is fair. Just, uh, the last thing I would say about Woody Harrelson is Woody Harrelson kind of kind of exists as a foil to technically Anton Shigur, but more to Tommy Lee Jones. Because if Tommy Lee Jones is the guy that just sees things for what they are, Woody Harrelson is the guy who is a little more willing to accept for lack of a better word, the supernatural, like he see, he sees Anton Chigurh as essentially a force of nature. He's like, I am the only guy that can protect you because you have no idea what this guy can do where Tommy Lee Jones could say the same thing, but it wouldn't carry anywhere near as much weight. Yeah. But the thing is also Woody Harrelson's character had an agenda of he wanted money. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, that's like, why I say technically Anton Chigurh because he is also basically a mercenary. I don't think he technically is, but he he is more or less. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyways, I think the biggest highlight of of course was the directing. Yeah. Uh, I I loved. There were things like uh, the cinematography was like outstanding. Uh, obviously, or not obviously, but this was a. Uh, the cinematography was done by Roger Deegans, who recently won an Academy Award for the first time, I think, which is crazy because he's... Did he win for 2049? Uh, oh, yeah, that, that's what he won for. Never mind. I thought he... Who did he... Because he also did 1917, which I think he won for as well. He may have. Maybe he won... Man, is Roger Deegans winning everything now? Yeah, I but mean, this I guess is good after... For him. This is after decades of being robbed of it many, many times. Yeah. Uh, he's done, he's worked with some amazing directors and. Uh, he's had some, 15 nominations and two wins for best cinematography. Yeah. And uh, he, like, he's worked with. Your guy. Gosh. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve. Oh, yeah. Who's, who's insanely good right now on Blade and uh, Sicario. And then Skyfall, which had. Again, amazing cinematography. 1917, which was made by his cinematography, you know, like mm. just an insane. Yeah, 1917 roster. was basically a cinematography movie. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was actually nominated for No Country for Old Men. He didn't win, but he was nominated. Yeah, which is, I, I feel like he, he could have won. Uh, but actually, wait, he directed another movie, or he did another movie that year that was pretty big too, The Assassination okay. of Jesse James. That yeah. is an incredible movie. I still haven't seen it. I need to watch that. Maybe next time. Um, maybe. But yeah, uh, so just in general, just like how, uh, like he, his, I loved like it was very subtle, right? Because hmm. it's this wasn't a movie for like lots of action, but like there were just some shots that I can just vividly remember being like very haunting. Um, the action scenes were also like very well done, right? Like the scene in the hotel. Uh, where where Josh Brolin's character just kind of sits on his bed and is waiting. Uh, I thought the I thought the way he filmed it was really great. Uh, also, I, I vividly remember the scene, but when when Anton kills Woody Harrelson's character, I think. Yeah. And I just he pans down to and we see the blood slowly r- creeping up to Anton's leg or foot while he's on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why, but like stuff like that is like these little shots that really stuck in my head. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to say it. it's just amazing. And cinematography is hard to like kind of describe, but it just felt very pure and uh, beautiful to look at, but also very haunting when it wanted to be, you know, and it added a lot of personality to this movie. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you have, did you have any thoughts on it? I, I don't know. Uh, I agree that it was really good, but you're, you can usually speak a lot more to cinematography than I can. And I, I saw this far a little too long ago to remember the cinematography at any great length, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. I, I can agree with that. Thank you. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, in terms of directing, I guess we can talk about like the tone specifically. Uh, it just felt like a very bleak movie. Um, yeah. Very quiet, um, very simple sets and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I, ah, it's, it's interesting. This is kind of interesting as a Coen Brothers movie, because like I said, it's not as absurd or comedic as their other movies. But it still does sort of have the supernatural character that some of their movies have had in the past. Like, this is... It has characters in it that are kind of similar to characters from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Even though these movies are not even kind of similar. Um, Just because they... I think it's just in the way that they're able to portray Anton Chigurh. Because, yes, a lot of that is down to Javier Bardem's acting. but But also... When Anton Chigurh enters a room, like the entire atmosphere changes. The way they shoot it, um, however, the way they shoot it is makes it. It gives him so much more gravity than he already has, and he's such a he's already such an imposing character. So it does still have sort of that. They still have that like, not equal reverence for each character. While sort of, and sort of highlighting different characters with how they shoot various scenes, which I thought was uh, well, which which really heightens it. It sort of emphasizes every character just in how they how they're able to show them. And I know a lot of that is down to the acting, but still, I think that that comes across just that that to me comes across in their style as well. And that's where this kind of feels like a Coen Brothers movie to me is just in how. Um, in sort of the implicit hierarchy of how powerful all the characters are in relation to each other, I guess. True. Yeah. They, they do like to play with that a lot. Um, wait, can you, can you think of any examples from another movie? Um, have you seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Wait, okay. no, I haven't. I haven't. Sorry. <laughs> Um, because that's the most obvious example is when they meet John Goodman because John Goodman plays the Cyclops, um, and he's a very uh, imposing character. Um, let me see what other movies. 
would there be? I guess I mean, kind like, of in the Big Lebowski. Kind of in the Big Lebowski, like when he meets either the porn director or the other Jeff Lebowski. The, well, not not really the other Jeff Lebowski because he's kind of a silly character, but like. I guess a little bit, because even though he's not, he doesn't come across as imposing as Anton Chigurh, the vibe of the entire scene kind of changes when you have the big Lebowski in the room, as opposed to, you know, the main character, the little Lebowski, Jeff Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just sort of the way that just the way that they shoot their movies, they just end up adding, they're just able to, so they're able to add um, just through their shots to certain characters so much that like the entire mood changes when that character walks in the room before that actor has a chance to do anything. And then the actors that they pick always back that up. But, but um, you know, when Anton Chigurh enter- when Anton Chigurh enters the gas station, all he has to do is walk in and sure he's got an imposing stride, but the, the entire mood of the, the entire mood of the scene changes the moment you see him. Yeah, that's true. I I did feel it every time. I, I would say like the general tone of the movie helped that. Yeah, but, but I would say I would say that for me that comes across with um that sort of represents uh with with the Cohen brothers, I feel like they're in a lot of their more absurd movies, there's usually either an actual or an implied supernatural element. And that yeah. kind of comes across in this movie through that. That's just sort of them. That's, that's the element of their style that um, that sort of represents. Yeah. I will say the, the scene at the end where he's in the, in Josh Brolin's uh, widow's, I guess, house, uh, the way the, the way they did that, you you almost you knew he was he was gonna be there before you saw him, you know? Yeah. Because you already felt that sense of dread, and you're like, like, oh shit, like he's he's back, you know, or he's here. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, also like the writing, I loved because they also wrote this movie. Um, I loved how naturalistic their dialogue is without feeling lame, you know. Like it, it's almost like the opposite of like a Tarantino or a Sorkin script where the dialogue is very uh, rich and uh, kind of uh, full, full of content, you know, whereas like you said, I remember you said earlier with Tommy Lee Jones's character, sometimes he just kind of drifts into like a tangent mm-hmm. that doesn't entirely matter. Uh, but that it really adds to the movie in terms of like, just how grounded it is and like how real it is uh, in terms of like also the plot and like the personalities we have. So I, I thought that was a nice touch that I really liked. And I, I, I don't know how you pull that off because it, it could easily having dialogue that doesn't really mean anything could easily be very boring for the viewer, but it never mm-hmm. was. No, it was always never pretty was. engaging despite, you know, having lots of areas where the dialogue isn't actually super relevant to what's happening. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, lastly, I think, oh yeah, the, the soundtrack. Uh, there was not really a soundtrack in this movie. There technically was. Not at all. It but, was very quiet, which I thought added to, like, I thought that was a really good choice. Yeah, I literally could not imagine music in this. I don't know why. I just kind of imagine like the cliche like guitar playing and like the kind of country style uh, soundtrack, but I think that would be like pretty bad and corny, and it wouldn't really. Fit the only the thing I could all. really, the only thing I could really imagine for music in this that would kind of fit is there's a few scenes where they're in the car. They could put something on the radio if they really wanted to, but like. It, it <laughs> yeah, wouldn't. It wouldn't have made it better. It just would have maybe kind of fit. Yeah, maybe. I guess. Yeah, that that might have been a nice touch of just um, adding. I guess adding to the realism. I guess. Uh, 
But yeah, it's just such a quiet movie. I I really did think it added to the the dread and and the tension, you know, because um, like it was a really really tense movie, and having mm-hmm. no music, like I I think a lot of movies, especially especially horror movies, fall into the trope of building tension simply through the music. You know, like the slowly rising violin or whatever. Yeah. This had none of that. It had to purely rely on uh like kind of circumstance uh and actor placement and like the setting and the cinematography. Um but I guess and also like the, the sounds were really rich too in this. So uh you know, it it was like each 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 small sound kind of meant something. Yeah, I would no say soundtrack. that. Yeah, even though it didn't have a soundtrack, the sound design on this movie was really, really good. And yeah, sound design. And I mean, you noticed it more because it didn't have a soundtrack. Yeah, so uh, I, I love that. I, I don't think I've really seen a movie without a soundtrack, other than like shorts. I so. I know they exist. I can't think of one I've seen either. No. Yeah. So yeah, that was a really cool touch. Um, and, uh, lastly, the, how unconventional the plot was, um, I guess this is, we kind of touched on it earlier with how the Coen brothers never like, or rarely seem to follow the, the basic story structure of movies. Uh, I guess this technically kind of had a first act and a second act that made sense. Uh, but then it again, it kind of ends, you know, with no, no resolution to most of the plot lines. Um, and lots of questions for me personally, I was craving for, I was craving more. And it was, it was, it, it reminded me of when I watched the big Lebowski of like, when I saw the credits, I was like, Oh, what the hell? Like, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, how they, did, sorry. What uh, what reminded you of that? Say again. The the ending, of just yeah. like the credits popping up, and you're like, wait, like, I must be like getting punked here because there has to be more. Actually, had to rewind this movie slightly when the credits popped up the first time, just to try, just to figure out what had just happened. Because I like, I zoned out for a minute, and then all of a sudden the credits were there because the, this movie ends with Tommy Lee Jones talking about a dream about his dad. It's very ambiguous. Like, it's not clear what this dream actually means or how it's relevant to the plot, but there's lots of ways it could be. But also, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. He's just talking to his wife in the morning, and he describes this dream, and then the credits roll. And it's it's really a non-ending. Yeah. I I think it easily kind of piss off some people watching it, uh, but it, I, I guess it kind of because the story from what I could tell reflected his just his state of mind. You know, it gave him a way of saying how he felt and and, and some slight closure without like just narratively like explaining it to to his wife. Um, but even either way, it seemed pretty obvious just that he doesn't he doesn't feel like he belongs or he has much use in this world anymore. He's just, especially because when he, he, he does, he does uh, talk a lot in the movie about how he doesn't like, he, he's kind of playing like a young man's game, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, he doesn't feel like he, he can keep up anymore, especially with like how evil, and messed up some of the things he's seen are because I, I think the dream was about what it sounded like his dad was kind of guiding him into heaven or something or into the afterlife kind of yeah from what i can tell so it sounds like he's just kind of like given up on life you know and he's just waiting to die in a way um which is kind of depressing but it does play into the how how because you know josh, josh brolin's character who is also pretty old and past his prime uh spoilers i guess but he he ends up dying like yeah two thirds i want to say two thirds of the way into the movie i would uh, say you, a little later than that it's maybe a little close later to the end yeah 
but like conventionally you would well first of all it, it's insane to have like the main protagonist especially with a character uh or a movie with such like few characters you know just die uh and it was very anticlimactic in terms of like he didn't really have a last stand or anything he just no his last it was interesting because his last scene that he has is he walks by this hotel and this girl who's in the pool basically cat calls him uh she just sort of calls out to him and is like hey want to come to my place and have a beer and then like eventually he says yes and the next time we see him he's dead so like say yeah Oh, well, he doesn't, but like it's kind of implied because he he's found dead at that hotel. Oh, uh, I thought he was just staying there, anyways. He may but have been. I didn't either, think he was, but anyway, way. he's found dead at that hotel. Yeah, and that just sort of like, and it's kind of interesting because like that his last conversation has nothing to do with anything, and then you don't see Anton Chigurh actually find him and kill him, but clearly he does. No, I thought it was the cartel. Mainly, I thought. I, I don't even think Anton was there, right? Well, Anton, like, you don't see him there. I just kind of assumed it was. Oh, I maybe, guess so, maybe, yeah. Maybe it was the cartel. I don't know. It's it's ambiguous enough that, like, technically it could have been anyone. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, like, just how... I on, Honestly, there's not many directors that could pull this off, like... Because it's it's just such a such a shock. Well, that's what I love about it. It's just like it works. Because that like they didn't just kill him off for no reason, right? It it truly does play into the themes of the movie. Uh, well, I in think terms it plays of... specifically into that theme of destiny. Like if that was in fact Anton Chigurh that killed them, which we can infer, but we don't necessarily know, then Anton Chigurh is just a force of. He's just an arbiter of destiny who eventually gets his guy he's basically the he's basically the grim reaper himself in a way that's kind of what his character's point is and so again we don't actually know if that's who killed him at the end but like because up until this point that's who's been hunting him we kind of assume it or you can kind of assume it uh whether it's true or not and that just sort of reinforces the fact the idea in this movie that like he's just He's he's just a force of nature. He's the arbiter of destiny. That was his fate to die. But also, like in terms of the his the Josh Brolin and Tommy Lee Jones, like the 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 main difference is that Josh Brolin he didn't know when to give up. You know, like he he was like an older man still trying to play the young man's game because he thought he still had it. You know, and everyone was telling him no, and you kind of as an audience member and being used to watching the conventional movie, you're expecting him to pull through, you know, and defy like everyone that's trying to say he can't do it. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the end, it's true. Like he just, you know, the reality is he, he's not the way he used to be. Maybe when he was younger, he could have taken on Anton properly. Like he, but he still has this idea in his head that he, he has the skill that he does not have. It's I guess like so like him dying makes sense. It wasn't like just purely for shock factor, but it it definitely like was very unexpected. And uh, that's what I love like when I watch a Coen Brothers movie is that I never truly know where the plot's gonna go. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and I love that. And and it's just that very very few directors could be able to pull off like a plot uh kind of mix up like that because most like i want to say 95 percent of movies follow like a, a very similar three three act structure where the the protagonist ends up either dying at the end or living living through the whole movie right but mm-hmm. uh there like there was kind of a lack of climax in this a lack of a third act it's, it felt like it ramped up to us the end of the second act and then the third act was just kind of like resolution, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But uh, that, that's something I wish I could see more in theaters of just not knowing what's going to happen. But again, like, I, I don't, it's very, it would have been very hard to pull off by another director. 
in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, there's not that many directors that can really pull off genuine surprises the way the Coen brothers can. And honestly, I think to some degree, it's just because the Coen brothers are willing to just drop the story completely and just say, oh, well, we hit our mark. And because like this movie and actually Burn After Reading is the best other example I can think of of that. Um, Hail Caesar to some degree as well. When the movie is done, it's just, well, it's done. Here you go. Because I remember Burn After Reading, it goes for about two hours. There's no resolution of anybody. Uh, everything just kind of sucks for everyone. And I think J.K. Simmons goes, huh, well, that's a strange story. And then it ends. Yeah. But that's and the like, thing. It's like the, 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 I think the lame explanation is like, like if I was a director or something and I, and I made a movie like that, I feel like it would just come off as me being lazy because I'm like, oh, that's life. You know, like nothing ever kind of comes together. But one could argue it's just like lazy storytelling, you know, of just like, right. Sounds like you didn't know what time, you're... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, but with the, with the Coen brothers, they're able to pull it off in a way that because the ending is unsatisfying, it makes you look at everything else that happened in the movie more closely because you need that sense of, well, I mean, subconsciously you need that sense of satisfaction, but there's a lot to this movie and the ending isn't the point is the kind of the whole thing of it. Yeah, it's it's kind of the journey, I guess. Well, I well also like a lot of the, the there's very subtle things that kind of make you expect this ending, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when you're watching this, when you're watching like a movie of like, like if this movie ended the stereotypical way of like, uh oh, like Anton like kidnaps his wife and then like this older guy must like take on this younger man and see if he still has it, you know. Uh, kind of like Old Man Logan or the the Logan movie, yeah. Uh, which, which uh, I guess, in a more in a more traditional way, he technically kind of won. Uh, whereas uh, Josh Brolin's like it it definitely because I think as an audience member, at least for me, I'm kind of rolling my eyes when I see stuff like that because I'm like. It's very, it's extremely unrealistic to have this guy that's like in his late late fifties taking on this like it, on on like this insane assassin, you know, who's like maybe twenty thirty years younger than him, or at least played to be that way. I don't know how old Anton was actually. Yeah, he's he's a very ambiguous character. We don't get a lot of details because the details are not important. Yeah, I, I it's in a way in a weird way it's satisfying because. To me, this is what makes sense, you know, and it's not pandering to like the typical Hollywood bullshit of like, oh, if you try hard enough, no matter the odds, you'll succeed, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but, but I, again, I, I think also the reason they're able to do this is because they're so good. The Coen brothers are so good at everything else in terms of the movie making that they can pull off something like that. And even if you're not satisfied, or you think the story was lazy, which I don't think it was. It, it made sense. Um, the filmmaking was so good that, like, you still had a great time watching it, you know? That it doesn't even matter if, like, it technically doesn't resolve as satisfactorily as you would expect. Yeah, yeah. anyways. Um, what, would you, what would you rate this movie? Oh, this is really good. This is like... Oh, man... This is probably an, at least an eight, maybe an eight or a nine for me. This is really good. Yeah, I, I'd say the same. Probably a nine. Uh, really, really enjoyable movie. Definitely memorable too. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'll probably watch it again eventually. I, I would like to watch it again because you say it's memorable, and I agree. But I maybe I just had a really eventful last couple of days. But like. I'm I'm not struggling to remember it. I just it's not very vivid in my head and there's a lot also to go back to. Like I feel like if I watch this two or three times cuz this was I know I said this wasn't the first time I watched it and technically that's true. This was really the first time I watched it and paid attention. And like if I I feel like if I watch this two or three times, I'm going to find something new every time. That's true. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I thought the start was pretty confusing. Like the first 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I wasn't entirely sure what was happening. Um, my attention wasn't fully there, but still like 
it, it felt like it kind of dragged a bit. It was a little overly complicated, but like uh, that might that might have just been an attention thing. So yeah, there's stuff like that that I, I do want to rewatch just to yeah. understand it a little more. Uh, yeah, overall, uh, definite recommend Coen Brothers. I haven't. I don't think I've seen a bad movie from them yet. So I have seen one. And honestly, I still liked it. I just heard that it's a bad. Uh, I I just mostly heard that it's a bad movie. That's that's Lady what Killers. Oh, okay, sounds good. Uh, um, actually, oh maybe I didn't love the the one with the uh, the actors in the movie studio. Uh, what's it called, dude? Oh, are you talking about Hail Caesar? Yeah, the Hail I- Caesar. I didn't love that one. I thought it was all right. I thought it was good. But like not amazing. I guess that's fair. I really liked that just because like it played like I didn't I didn't like that one. I didn't care. I kind of felt that one didn't give me the feeling of like a big cohesive story like a lot of their other ones. It felt a lot more like a series of vignettes, and I really liked all of those vignettes. I didn't love the overarching stories so much, but also I kind of felt like that wasn't the point, at least when I watched it. So I guess it's just kind of I think that at least to some degree. That movie, how much you enjoy, like, how how good that movie is is up for debate, I guess. But like, how much you enjoy that movie depends on what you think about, it, like, what you're expecting going in, or at least like, what you want out of a Coen Brothers movie, because it's not their best anthology movie, because it isn't an anthology movie, and that would be the Ballad of Buster Scruggs anyway, and like, yeah. it's not their best narrative movie because it's barely a narrative movie at that, and the narrative of it is weak. So it's sort of sort of it's sort of an in-between movie and it, you know, suffers for it. True, I I agree with that. Um but it's still enjoyable. Oh yeah. Despite despite the like they're they're still amazing at what they do. Um so, yeah. uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, at the end of the last couple of episodes, we've like not always, but we've sort of sometimes said stuff about what we're gonna do in the next episode. I don't I don't wanna commit to a movie very I like I don't wanna commit to a movie while we're recording that we're going to do next episode. We'll talk about it afterwards, but I am going to say that we talked enough about Fargo in this episode that it is unlikely we will talk about Fargo as a dedicated episode. That'd be sick. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but I feel yeah. like it's a little unlikely. I just, I just think we've covered most of the bases we would need to with Fargo in this, this episode. Yeah, I know. It's too... It's too bad. I, I do want to watch Fargo again, though. I remember liking, loving the oh, TV man. show. I couldn't get into the movie, though, but I do want to watch it again. It, it, took me, it took me being very into the TV show to get into the movie, but, like, after I'd seen a season of the TV show, I really liked the movie. And also, it has William H. Macy in it, who, like, is an actor that I love a lot. Uh, so, you know, yeah. if you're listening yeah. to this, William H. Macy, please be our guest on this show. <laughs> Um, but anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Jeff, what's the last word? The last word is... Come on, you can do it. It's blood. It's blood simple. Oh, I guess the Thank last you. word is simple then. Simple. Words. Simple. Perfect. And we'll talk to you guys next time.